Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Wisdom, someone say wisdom, is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Today, I want to teach a message titled, Go Get It. Go Get It. Before I do, I want to pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I bind demons and opposition to the word and work of your Holy Spirit and the word of God. I pray that, Lord, you would find hearts and minds open to the light of your instruction to the light of your word that you would do great work and great wonders in the lives of individuals today. Lord, speak to us concerning your purpose, your ways for marriage. We look to you, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. Make much of Jesus. For this we give you praise. Amen. Wisdom is the principal thing. Now, if you weren't a great student or, let's say, a a great student in the area of behavior, then maybe you get confused when you see that word principal and you go back to thinking of school. And principals wasn't something I looked forward to seeing. That means I talked a little too much and got a little too active in class. But that's not the type of principal we're talking about here. But wisdom is the principal thing. In fact, the the word there, principal, in the Hebrew is reshit. Reshit, I like that, because I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I like sanctified cuss words. Uh, what, what I mean by that is, is I like some cuss words that, that in difficult times remind me of God's goodness or my need for Him. And when I think of that word, reshit, that's what it reminds me of. That Josh, when I walk around the house and I stump my foot, reshit's a good reminder Because what it reminds me of is wisdom is the principal thing. I need some wisdom to remember that my wife moved that coffee table to that new spot and I need to be aware of it so I don't stump my little pinky toe anymore. I need some reminders in life that wisdom is the principal thing. It is the reshit of life, the principal thing. You know what that means? It means wisdom, that Hebrew word, is to be first. It is to be the best and the choice part and the beginning. Wisdom is to be given first place. Wisdom is to be given priority in our life. Notice then the proverb says, in all you're getting, get understanding. Understanding there means discernment. And all you're getting, get discernment. Reminds me of what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3 when he says there is to everything a season. There's a time for every purpose. But without discernment, we're not aware of the purpose of the season we find ourselves in. That we need discernment of the time, we need discernment of the season, we need discernment of the wisdom needed for the season we're in. We need discernment of the wisdom that we're gaining in this season. We need discernment of the wisdom we've gained from previous seasons. And we need discernment 
regarding where we're lacking wisdom. The word wisdom there, I want when you see the word wisdom to think of skill. Skill in the sense that wisdom is the skill to rightly use the right knowledge at the right time. It's the skill to use the right knowledge rightly at the right time. Now, knowledge is important, but knowledge is just the beginning. That's why knowledge alone can puff up. This is one of the great uh, vulnerabilities we have in America is that because we do have freedom in this country and we have access to God's Word and books and resources and podcasts and to preachers and all kinds of teaching activity, we can really grow in knowledge of God's Word and His ways. But knowledge is not just to remain knowledge. Knowledge is to increase to wisdom. Now, to get wisdom, you have to get some knowledge. So knowledge first, knowledge before wisdom, but we want to then have skill on how to rightly use at the right time, the knowledge that we have gained. But then also there are ways of wisdom and we need to know the ways of wisdom before we have discernment in life. Notice the scripture says, and in all your getting, get understanding. Getting there is the Hebrew word of acquiring. In all of your acquiring, it means the acquiring and the acquisition of possessions and purchase property and wealth and that in all your acquiring things in life, be sure to put as the priority, as the chief, as the first importance, getting wisdom and discernment. Last week, as I mentioned, we talked about friendships. This week, we're going to look at marriage and the season of marriage. What does this Proverbs mean for us who are married or those of us that desire to be married, Michelle and I, I think, are 16 and a half years now in marriage. And marriage is one of the most significant transitions in the life of a person. It is one of the most significant transitions in the life of a person. Now, it's a time of joy. It's a celebratory occasion for the vast majority of people in our culture. And though it is a celebratory and a joyous occasion for most, it still nevertheless is a transition. And transitions require change. And how many of you are willing to be honest that change brings challenges? And so this proverb speaks to us that wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom and and all you're getting, get understanding. See, once you enter the season of marriage, there is a lot of getting. Oftentimes, people begin to get a new place to live. Sometimes even a new city, a new job, a new church, new friends. They begin to have a new schedule and new bills, new responsibilities. People begin to get not just sometimes a job, but they actually begin to get a job in their career. They begin to enter a more stable, long-term pursuit of a career that's in line with their desires or their skills or their education. They begin to acquire and get more money. 
Many people seek to begin to get success according to one's own definition of it. There's a lot of getting in the season of marriage. There's a lot of acquiring. And the interesting thing is we as humans who have been affected by sin, listen to me, we're not that great. As humans that have been affected by sin, we are not that great. In fact, if you're not aware of that yet, let me sow this seed into your life. You, due to sin, are not that great. You just aren't. You're not that great. And one of the issues of us being affected by sin and not being so great is that when there are a lot of things going on and there is a lot of acquiring and a lot of getting and a lot on our schedule and a lot of items to keep up with, we forget what is actually to be most important. That the principal thing gets lost. The thing that wisdom says is to be the choice thing. Wisdom itself gets lost. That in all of our juggling and all of our acquiring and all of our pursuing and all that begins to happen in this season, a God-given season called marriage, wisdom, the principal thing, gets lost. And so our word of caution up front today is this. Circumstances and events in the early years of marriage and in the early years of our career can be deceiving. That what is considered or even sometimes what seems to be necessary early on in marriage to reach a place that we consider success can deceive us. Meaning it is possible to be deceived or lulled into thinking that we then have the wisdom needed for the long run and the rest of our life and the rest of our marriage because we've had some early success in the beginning. Early success can potentially be deceiving. And Solomon and the wisdom that he received from the Lord. He warns us, he exhorts us about the dangers of such thinking, the dangers of such a lull. He challenges the notion that just because we've had early success in marriage, early success in the early season of marriage, that we don't need any more wisdom. No, he says wisdom still has to be chief. Wisdom still has to be first. That in all of our getting and all seasons, wisdom must be the principal thing. See, we can actually get more things. We can get bigger houses in later seasons of marriage. We can get a better job. We can finally get the career we want. We can get bonuses that we had been working after or working towards. We can reach goals that we set in our marriage and yet not also be getting the wisdom needed as the principal thing. That's the vulnerability we face. And this is why it's not just a seldom thing, but it's a thing that it gets a lot of attention. Our researchers, counselors, 
psychiatrists, people regarding the issues of life is that commonly this can lead to a midlife crisis. Or it can lead to a crisis in our marriage. Marriages that statistically in our nation end more than 50%. That we can come to a place where we begin to experience feelings we've never experienced before. Or maybe, let me put it this way, feelings that we've had, we've just been so busy acquiring, so busy going after other things that we have been able to silence, suppress, ignore feelings that have been there the whole time. Such a moment of a midlife crisis and the caution that I want all of us to look at today is oftentimes described as one beginning to experience feelings of being trapped. Feelings of being trapped. Think of Patrick Morley and what he said regarding this. He said, all of these feelings happen at the very point in life when he or she has accumulated enormous responsibilities. They have responsibility of a spouse. For many of us, we don't just have the responsibility of a spouse now in the season of our marriage, but we have children or we have grandchildren or now we're at the peak of our career. Now we're past starting a business. We're at a business now that is established or growing and and the hours necessarily we can't cut back. There's more that's being asked of us and more responsibilities. And it's at this very point that these feelings begin to be experienced. Think about what Charles Handy said. He said, it's one of the paradoxes of success that the things and ways which got you there are seldom those things that keep you there. See, when we begin to have some early success in marriage and the early season of marriage, we can be lulled into this thinking that what got us that early success is all that's needed to continue to have future success, future healthy marriage, future joy in marriage, strength in marriage. Patrick goes on, Patrick Morley, when he begins to try to boil down to the the core of these midlife crisis moments that we need to be cautioned of, or many maybe even here today are listening have, encountered or some could find themselves in at this moment, even secretly. As he mentions four things that he's tried to boil it down to. The first is values. Comes a point in time that we begin to question what are our ultimate values? What are values that should be unchanging for our life? Values that can change or should change or should be let go of values. The second is expectations. And under expectations, there's times that we experience disappointment. Disappointment is in a potential opportunity for anger to then come into our life. Anger has been traced to us psychiatrists and researchers to be a primary ingredient to then the potential experience probably all of us at some point have faced called depression. Disappointment, anger, depression. The third is purpose. 
what's the point of all of this? All these responsibilities, all that I've been doing, all that life has, all that i got to juggle, all that I'm getting, what's the point? And the fourth is unresolved issues. Unresolved issues because many of you know because you're there. You look back and you think of all the energy, all the focus, all of the time, all of the effort, all of the resources that took early on in marriage and seasons of building to get to the place that you are. But so often we've been so busy with getting and so busy with building a life that we never stopped and asked, but how are we building? Are we building in a healthy, God-ordained, God-established way? We can build a lot of things, but just because they're built doesn't mean they were built in a healthy manner. Our second book's called Building with Balance. It's the exhortation that, yeah, there's a lot of getting, there's a lot of building in the world and even in the kingdom and even in Christendom and even in the church, but how are we building? How are we building? It makes me think of vision and the importance of vision. When you think about marriage, I also think about vision because I think about that marriage and the seasons of marriage include getting and building, but without a vision, without a blueprint, without an understanding of where we're going and what is the way to get there, we can just build and we can have a lot of activity and we can have a lot of getting, but maybe we're not building what ultimately we're after and longing for or God wants for us or we're building in a way that's unhealthy, that's detrimental to the very thing we want to experience. See, Proverbs is clear that without a vision, people are not intentional. They perish with wondering that opportunities perish and healthy time management perishes and the ability to use resources wisely perishes that without a vision, people cast off restraint. There's no intentionality that without a vision, listen, people don't lead life. They let life lead them and they just respond to life. gospel says that it restores us that we can be empowered to even lead through life. Even in the things in life we cannot control or dictate, there's still an empowering to lead through it. To be more than conquerors, not in ourselves, but more than conquerors in Christ. So let me paint some biblical pictures of maybe vision you want to embrace or have embraced or want to prayerfully or thoughtfully consider about embracing when it comes to marriage. In Genesis 2.24 it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's a great vision cast for marriage. That there's a leaving and a cleaving. There is a process of becoming one. It's a great vision that Scripture gives us. In Genesis 2.25, And they were both naked. Oh, that's a good vision. And marriage. God bless you, my lovely wife. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Not ashamed. They weren't ashamed to be intimate. They weren't ashamed to express their deepest concerns. They weren't ashamed to take off the mask and be real with each other. What a vision of marriage. 
to have a place where you can truly be you and strip from all the labels and expectations of the world. Be at rest and peace in the embrace of your spouse. Proverbs 5.18 says, Let the fountain, your fountain, be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. What a vision. A vision that you don't just start with the wife and then she gets older, you move her aside and you seek a new wife. But those of you entering marriage, those of you engaged, those of you who desire to be married, this is a vision that God puts before you to embrace. That a wife of your youth is the wife of your old age. Now things happen and this is not a place of condemnation and this is not a series where we talk about things that happen. But the wife you have today, the husband you have today, there's a vision of having them at the end of your days, Scripture puts before you. Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. and Let the wife see that she respects her husband. What a vision. A wife that is loved by the husband, served by the husband, a husband that is respected by the wife. It's a vision the Scriptures offer. Psalms 92 and 14, that they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. What a vision. That even in old age, there's productivity. There is importance. There is value to the kingdom of God and to society that you're still in. What a vision. Maybe your idea of marriage, your thoughts of marriage, or your experience of marriage already includes some other options for the vision of marriage regarding children. What about this? Proverbs 17, 6. Children's children are the crown of old men. And the glory of children is their father. Wow. A vision that of grandchildren and the young looking and finding significance and looking up to you as a not just a father, but a grandfather, a grandmother. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Wow, what a vision. God's empowering and God's wisdom can lead that what God does in my life can actually become a blessing to my grandchildren. Proverbs 20 and verse 7, the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. Wow, what a vision that God says we can put before us. How about Proverbs 31, 28? Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and her He praises her. What a vision. The Bible paints this vision of where we can end up in the future seasons of marriage. The problem is, is most of us don't take the time to ask the question, what does God want the end of my days to look like? Most of us don't take the time to Ask the question, what do I want the end of my time here on earth to look like? Why do most not take the time? Because in the beginning of the season of marriage, we're getting and we're gaining and we're trying to build and there's so much activity going on. Oh, of course, Pastor Chad, we don't have enough time to stop and ask 
a question? Can I tell you to not stop and ask the question? Can lead to more heartache than stopping now and silencing the overwhelming thing that says, no, keep pace and build and you don't have time to reflect on what vision are you working for and towards? I'm trying to climb the ladder. Yeah, but some great leadership axioms have finally challenged us. What if your ladder's against the wrong wall, sir? What if your ladder's against the wrong wall, ma'am? See, listen to me. You might be able to get where you want without being intentional, but you will never get what God has in mind for you without intentionality. You might be able to get where you want but you'll never get what God has for you without being intentional. And intentionality is taking time to sit down and ask some reflective, hard questions in the light of God's Word of what am I working towards? Why am I doing all that I'm doing? What does God have for me? I assure you, if you invite God into that process in the end, you will not, will not regret it. Reflection can bring great, like a great refueling for the life that God has made available for us through Jesus Christ. Without seeking Jesus first, without seeking first the kingdom of God, you'll never get and experience what God has for your marriage and the end of your days and what He's provided for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. This leads me to what what is an overarching purpose for marriage? I don't know about you, but I think that's a wise question that we would take time and say, what is an overarching purpose for marriage? What is a purpose that is so big that it can cover all of the trials and joys and difficulties and valleys and mountaintops and seasons of marriage? Is it just till death do us part? Now, that's more noble than some purposes. But is that all you want is just to make it till death? Because you can make it to death still married and make it there miserable. You can make it there defeated. You can make it there without experiencing what God has for it. Is that the overarching purpose for you and your vision of marriage just till death do us part? Now, it's better than some other people's overarching purpose. But why settle just because others settle? Is it just to be happy in marriage? Is that really a big enough purpose that can oversee and last all of the seasons and difficulties of life and seasons of marriage? I don't think so. Happiness is so fleeting at times. So unstable. How about this as an overarching purpose for marriage? Conformity to Christ. Wow. I wonder if that would be big enough to make it through the ups and the downs, the mountaintops and the valleys, all the challenges and celebrations and seasons of marriage. Conformity to Christ and manifesting and revealing Christ in and through our marriage. I wonder if that vision that the gospel and scripture calls us to, I bet you that's a big enough arch to cover all the possibilities that you and I who are married today are 
you who desire to be married one day could face. See, of course, we live in a day where it's still like days before where the masses want the wrong things. And that shouldn't surprise us because as I mentioned, as sin affected humans, we're just not that great. That's why we need Jesus. That's why Jesus came. To not accept that is to oppose the gospel. It's to oppose the goodness of God. It's to oppose God's love revealed through Jesus Christ. But what you see really pressing in our day, what I really, really feel is you have masses who even want the right things, but they go about trying to get them the wrong way. That they're sincere. That they even desire good things, but they seek to go about and get them the wrong way. Like to accomplish things with the skills and talents God gave you, that's a good thing. That's a noble thing. But how do we get the career and accomplish the things that God has called us or gifted us or that we've been educated or trained in to accomplish? You want to, I mean, I don't know why God wants you to have a failing career if it's a career He's called you to. Now, I don't know why we can fail at times because God's mercy and love, when we don't put the principal thing first, And he takes his hand off and allows things to begin to shake and come down so that we put the first thing first again. Jesus and his kingdom. Yeah, I get that. But see, listen to me. God has established ways regarding how things work. Now, I'm an independent personality. I'm an independent person circumstantially as an only child. But that independence is, has to submit to the reality that God has created certain ways for things to work. I'm not God and you're not God. Meaning, listen, if you have a desire to play baseball like I enjoy playing many years, once you choose to play the game, you don't get to dictate the rules of that game. Now, you can choose another game, but any game you choose, you don't get to dictate the rules of that. And when we think about marriage and we think about things that we desire, fulfilling career, financial stability, being a blessing to our children and our grandchildren and joy and things like that, we don't get to determine the playbook and the rules. See, when we seek to get even what God has for us in a way He has not determined, it's still the way that ends in death. No, 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 not necessarily physical death. But death to joy. Death to contentment. Death to a sense of fulfillment. Death to peace. And it leads to more sorrow and more pain. Because listen to me, there is a way of wisdom. And in all thy getting, we are exhorted to get wisdom. See, if you don't believe that you can desire a good thing, or you can desire even a wrong thing and go about it the wrong way, ask Abraham and Sarah about Ishmael. Ask Israel about food and drink in the wilderness season. Ask Peter about the night in the garden at Jesus' arrest. 
Ask Jonah about the large fish. Let me preach for a minute. Ask Esau about that bowl of soup. Ask the Jewish leaders about demanding Pilate kill Jesus. Ask Haman about the gallows. There is a way, but it can be the wrong way that leads in death, but there still is a way of wisdom. Let me talk about the way of wisdom for a moment. Ask Abraham and Sarah about Isaac. Ask Moses about the Red Sea. Ask Anna about baby Jesus. Ask Esther about how to approach the king. Ask Ruth about her kinsman redeemer. Ask Naaman about how to get your leprosy cleansed. Ask Peter about how to get the temple tax paid. Ask the woman with the issue of blood how to be made whole. Ask the list of Hebrews 11 believers about how to obtain the better resurrection. Ask the disciples how you're to go into a new town. See, there is a way of wisdom that leads to life. But there's a way that leads to death. Let me talk to us a moment about the way. In Proverbs 15 and 24, it says, The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. It's not just an eternal hell it's talking about, though it is talking about that, but it's talking about experiencing the fruit and the dysfunction of hell right now in your life as well. Well, the way for the wise winds upward. It turns us away from experiencing hell's purpose. Do you understand if you're married in here, one man with one woman, that the devil absolutely hates you and your marriage? Your marriage is a presentation to the lies of of Satan in culture. He absolutely despises it. But the way of the wise, it turns us away from the plan of hell, the assault of hell. Proverbs 4.11 says, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. There is a way of wisdom. It is a way that winds upward. I tried to fight against it. I grew up in the church. I came back to surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus in 1999 filled with hurts and insecurities and eating the fruit of my own backslidings and my own wrong turns. And as I began to submit to the Lordship of Jesus and His way and wisdom, my own insecurities, my own issues growing up, I tried to keep myself down. But I have found as you keep submitting to Jesus and following Him, (laughs) He just keeps lifting you up. He just keeps winding you up. The gospel just keeps empowering you more and more for His glory. That's the exhortation of Scripture. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due time He'll lift you up. The gospel is one that empowers us. There is a way, a way of wisdom. In fact, it's no coincidence that after Solomon talks about the way of wisdom, And in all of our getting, the priority of getting first wisdom, that he mentions numerous pitfalls and possible wrong wrong turns for us in life. He speaks of wrong relationships, the wrong friends. He speaks about the perils of adultery and the seducers and the seductresses. He talks about money issues. He talks about ethical issues. He talks about our communication and our words. He talks about our attitudes. He talks about habits. He talks about desires. 
It's no coincidence that once he talks about after he establishes in all things, make the chief and the choice part to be sure that in all you're getting you get wisdom. Why? Because there's perils at every turn, friends. Perils at every turn. To not warn us, to not warn you, means I don't truly love you. And it also means I fear you more than I fear God. Scripture tells us there's perils. There's traps. There's pitfalls. But I love this exhortation about the way, Proverbs 4.18, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into that perfect day. Oh, what a vision of God's Scripture that we can set before us when it comes to whatever individual specific season we're in regarding marriage, desires of marriage, or if we're in a season where now we have grandchildren or children that we put before us that the path of the just is like a shining sun that it gets brighter and brighter until the end of the days of our life. See, when I talked about what is a purpose that is overarching and big enough for all the valleys and mountaintops and experiences and circumstances of marriage, of being conformed to Christ and that our marriage would bring glory to God. What about a consistent strategy though? Like what about a consistent strategy that can help us actually see that purpose being fulfilled? What is a consistent strategy for wherever we're at in marriage? Let me tell you two things. Get God's wisdom and seek first Jesus and His kingdom. I want to tell you wherever you're at today in your marriage and your contemplation of do you want to be married or if you're a single person thinking about marriage, I want to tell you that a consistent strategy that is sufficient enough to whatever you're facing, wherever you're at, whatever you've been through, is this in the name of Jesus. Get God's wisdom and seek first Jesus and His kingdom. Seek first His way of doing things. His way to experience the vision that He has painted and put and communicated before us in Scripture about marriage. Isn't that what Jesus said? Seek first the kingdom. The world is all seeking to get. But Jesus said, don't be like the world. Don't seek just getting the things. Be sure to seek first Jesus and His kingdom, and God will be sure to help you get what you need to fulfill His purpose for you and through you on this earth. James 1 and 5, look at this one with me. If any of you, isn't that good news? Any of you means any of you. It means even if you try to disqualify yourself, this is still available for you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally. That word there in the Greek, the picture there is of a, of a woman with long hair, like my beautiful wife, who then braided it in a French braid, a threefold cord. What it says is God does not braid up His wisdom. He's not trying to hold it back. He's, he's got it liberal and free-flowing towards you. And without reproach, and it will be given to Him. Wow! That's, we have access to the way of God's way. We have access to God's wisdom. Praise the Lord. But do we seek it first? And all our getting, do we seek it first? Do we prioritize it? 
Now, this series is called Show Me Love. I want, us to, I want to break down those three words now, the remaining of our time. Show me love. The first word is show. When you think about show and showing love, you need to understand the wisdom that's been provided in what's called the five love languages. It really is an inaccurate description and understanding of how we show love. When you think about how you show love, you think through one of five love languages. The first is your primary, and it seems natural for you. It's natural as breathing. It's so hardwired into your thinking and character and how you view the world that when you think about showing love, you think primarily through your primary. You have a secondary, but the five love languages, words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, Quality time, acts of service. It's amazing of how this is hardwired that we, even with our three children, our youngest being four, that you can look at, at children that young and see how they're hardwired when they think about showing love, how they think primarily to do it. It's the same for you and I. Love languages are important. Because when you seek to communicate to another, you use your primary language which for most of you is English. When you seek to show love, you think through your love languages and your primary of one of those. The issue, we'll break it down, is this in a minute. But let me tell you what Dr. Willard Harley said. Meaning, meeting intimate emotional needs creates the feeling of love. And those who are in love with each other meet Intimate emotional needs best. But the interdependence of these two parts makes romantic relationships very fragile. Let me break it down for you. When you feel loved, you feeling love creates the feeling for you to want to love your spouse. But what that means is, is when you don't feel loved, these natural feelings to want to show love to your spouse, you don't experience them. And because of that, it makes our romantic relationships very fragile. Is that not the case in our marriage? That when you feel loved, it's easy to show love. But when you don't feel loved, there's no emotion or no really instinct, no really strong desire to want to show love. That makes it very fragile because what it means is, is when we have two spouses who are feeling the romantic love, it's easy for them to show each other romantic love. But the reality of it is if you've not lived long enough in marriage, let me tell you that that will not always be consistent. So we need something bigger than this fragile potential. Leads to two questions. See, if I'm trying to speak love to my wife... It, I'm thinking through the way of my love language. But if my love language is not her love language, it, you see where there's a breakdown. I'm showing love, showing love, showing love, but it doesn't translate to her because she speaks a different language. And the problem is, is when I'm showing love and thinking that she's getting it, but it's not translating to her, she don't experience the emotional, romantic feelings of marriage which means she doesn't get extra help 
emotionally of wanting to give those love language or communication back to me. But the question is this. Oftentimes spouses can't and it's different than spouses won't. Oftentimes we get confused the difference between our spouses can't and our spouses won't. For instance, if you didn't marry someone who has the same love languages as you, they cannot instinctively think to show you love the way that you show love. They speak a different love language. It's not instinctively for them. But when we get this confused, we start judging their motives. We start judging, do they really care? And it's not that they don't care. It's that they don't, they don't have the capacity and they can't to instinctively show us love in our language because it's not their language. Fly right now to another country that English is not the language and expect them to instinctively speak your language. That's unfair. And oftentimes we are unfair in marriage because we're expecting our spouse to instinctively subconsciously speak our language, but it's not their language. So what does this mean? It means what Dr. Henry Cloud said. Even if our physical needs are taken care of, we can't develop the capacity to love and bond with others. Here it is, watch this. Unless we've been cared for and loved by someone else. We don't have the capacity to give love if we've not first been cared for and loved. So this is the issue when it comes to show, show me love. This is the issue of capacity. Now, if our spouse won't show love even though they can, that's a different issue. That requires something different. That requires learning what God's Word says about how to overcome evil by doing good. How to overcome unforgiveness by first demonstrating and giving forgiveness. How to overcome selfishness by you first choosing to serve. But the problem is, how do we serve a spouse who's being selfish when we aren't feeling the emotions of wanting to serve them? It's a good question. This brings up the second word, me. Show me. Me's a dangerous word because when you trace back the origins of why there is a lake of fire and eternal damnation, eternal hell. Do you know what created that? It was me. Me, not Chad, but me, the idea of self, me, is what created hell. Because hell was created for Lucifer and his rebellious angels. And Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will. It was me. Me at the center created the lake of fire. I don't know about you, but that tells me if I keep me in the center of my marriage, that might be why there's so much hell going on. When me's at the center, you get what James 3 said. You get every evil thing can start showing up. In fact, uh, Dr. Will Willard Harvey, uh, Harley, he talks about the six most common love busters. He calls them love busters. Things that bust this romantic experience of love in marriage. The first is selfish demands. The second is disrespectful judgments. The third is angry outbursts. They're there on your car. The fourth is dishonesty. The fifth, annoying habits. Be careful there. Don't nudge them. And the sixth is independent behavior. 
He goes on to say this, when the feeling of love is lost, you'll also lose the instinct to make each other happy. When a husband or wife's emotional needs are not met, they are less likely to meet them for each other in the future. Now, we have a marriage that is stuck, even though the calendar's not stuck. Now we have a marriage that's at a standstill, even though the sun is not standing still. And you can grow older, but still be in the same place with me at the center. Because now you have two people that are stuck. See, it's like the mirror illustration. Let's say this mirror, I should have thought this through a little. Sorry, babe, you're actually skinnier than me. But this mirror is going to represent me. That one's going to represent her. It's a little more curvy. We'll, we'll change into the positive. If this represents my posture towards my wife, what I'm writing is I'm writing, show me love. If this represents the po- my posture, my heart, my posture towards my spouse, it's like the mirror illustration. When I take a posture towards my wife, show me love, show me love. When I look at my wife, I say, show me love. What happens without you understanding is when you take that posture, guess what's reflected in the mirror? Show me love. Show me love. My posture towards my spouse, like this mirror, shows up in her mirror. Show me love. Now you have two spouses that when they look at each other, guess what they're demanding and saying? Show me love, show me love, show me love. That's how you get all of hell showing up. Because when you look at them, you're looking at them for them to meet something in you instead of you looking at them of how can we love them. And when you get that posture, it creates the spirit in the spouse, the same type of posture. Now we have a marriage that's stuck. It's not going anywhere. It's in a rut. Because both people, both spouses are looking at the other saying, show me, show me. But when both are saying, show me, no one is actually then going to show. And there's no progress. So what do we do? Listen. We have to learn that the gospel is Xing out the me and writing there his. It's not show me love when I look at my wife. I have to learn to take a posture of show his love. And when I take a posture towards my wife, not of show me love, but show his love, then guess what? It begins to reflect in her the same, where she then takes a posture. Show his, his I mean Jesus' love. God's love. It's not show me love, it's no, now show His, Jesus' love. See, when Dr. Cloud said, unless we've been cared for and loved by someone else, we don't have the capacity to love and bond others. You want me to tell you who that someone else is? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. That if my wife takes a show me love posture... I can still show His love because I have access to the Father in heaven through Jesus. 
And that even when I'm not experiencing love for her, I have a secret place Jesus talked about that I can go and hide and get love from the Father and that then gives me the capacity to get out of the secret place and go and show His love to my spouse. That when I'm not feeling peace towards my spouse or accepted, I got a secret place I can run to. I have access to the Father's presence and I can experience His peace, His joy, His acceptance and be empowered to run back and not show me love posture but show his love to my spouse. Now our marriage is not so fragile because we have access to capacity that you and I on our own don't have. Wow. Like if you had if you had access to Bill Gates bank account most of you wouldn't be living the way you're living. You got access to the resources of Jesus. You got access to His love, His peace, His empowerment, His joy, His acceptance. You don't have to live the same way anymore. That's why 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love because He laid down His love for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So what's he saying? He's saying when you understand you have a secret place where you can go and get what maybe you're not getting from your spouse right now because they're in a show me type of posture, show me love type of posture, then you lay down your me for your spouse. You lay down your own resources and ability for Jesus' resources and ability. Now we have a marriage that's not so fragile because underneath it, it is girded by the supernatural resources of heaven and Almighty God. Can I tell you, or can I ask you this question? Will we depend on what is natural for God when it is unnatural for us? See, what's natural for us is an eye for eye, two for a tooth. You cuss me, I cuss you. You're cold towards me, I'm cold towards you. You won't serve me, I won't serve you. That's what's natural for us. But will I learn to depend on what's natural for God even though it's not natural for me? Let me tell you, friends, what's natural for God. God is love. God has joy. That's why it's called the fruit of His Spirit. Listen, this is the issue of sustainable capacity. That's the blank there on your card. This is the issue of sustainable capacity. How do we sustain the, um, a marriage? How do we have the capacity to sustain, sustain marriage regardless of the posture my spouse takes, regardless if we're on a mountaintop or a valley, regardless of the seasons? It's this. We have access to His capability. And we learn to trust and depend not on our resources and ability, on His See, what is unnatural for Chad is natural for Jesus towards my wife. When it's unnatural for me to bless and want to love her and serve her because of whatever reasons, it's still natural for Jesus to love and accept and serve her. And that is the gospel is learning to no longer live on I and me, but live to show His love and capacity. His love and capacity. And here's the amazing thing. When our spouse sees and experiences a new capacity coming from us, listen, 
it will begin to silence the lies that keep them stuck in their current capacity. See, that's the power of a modeling community. When you come in here and you have issues in life and you hear and find out someone else who's walking in victory over that issue, even though they've been through the same issue as you, that challenges and silences the devil's lies of you'll always be this way. This is just the way it is. You'll always be defeated. This is just how marriage is. It silences that. That when you begin to demonstrate a different capacity, it begins to bind and silence the devil lying to your spouse that they can't change. That they don't have access to capacity that's greater than their own ability. And this is why what Bob Buford says is so beautiful. Desire alone will not allow you to do something new. See, many of you, you desire a new experience in your marriage. You desire to to change how you treat your spouse. But desire alone is not enough. Listen, you must create the capacity to do it. Well, Pastor Chad, I thought you said I don't have the capacity at all times to be consistent. I don't have the capacity at all times to instinctively speak a love language that's contrary to my love language. Oh, yeah, that's right. The way you create the capacity is getting habits for help in your life. Oh, you didn't know today when you woke up and came here that you were actually engaging in what is a habit for help. Oh my gosh, you didn't understand that when you came here that you're asking for help. You're asking for help from your maker who made heaven and earth. But when you get a habit of coming, not just when it's convenient, not just when you feel like it, not just when you have the emotional because, woo, my sports team won last night, and they did. Next week might be a different story, (laughs) but they did last night. So I'm going to church, feeling great. Then they lose. Bad week. No, 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 listen. It's the habits for help that creates God's new capacity for you. They're called spiritual disciplines. You got to consistently, not just when you feel like it, get in the Bible. That's why Pastor Craig led us in a Bible reading plan this year. You got to have a designated time and place to pray in the secret place alone. A consistency in gathering with other believers in a community of followers like you are today. Consistently being in like connect groups or getting in growth phases and learning the pattern of sound teaching. Listen, these are all consistent ways that we're asking for God to help us by His grace and ministry of His Holy Spirit. They're habits for help. And you can start today, friend. That's the good news, Maddie, as you come. You can start today. For some of you that's newly married, it's very important because what you don't understand like the rest of us understand, that it's not going to get easier Because the more you go through marriage, there's going to be more responsibilities. You're just in the beginning of your career, maybe. There are going to be more responsibilities in your career. You're just in the beginning of having money, enough money to actually care what's in the checkbook and manage. All of these things, you're going to get, 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 and get more. So what are you supposed to do in all you're getting? You're to what? Get wisdom. And guess what wisdom is? Get these habits called spiritual disciplines, habits for help, Habits to receive God's grace 
in your life. So you know what will happen? If you'll get those habits for help, it doesn't matter what season you'll face in a year from now, in five years from now, in ten years from now. It doesn't matter about the season of what will happen when we have children or, or when we retire. Listen to me. If you will build my wisdom now, the habits for help, then you have a protection in any season for God to help you, for God's wisdom to come, for Him to strengthen you, for Him to speak to you, for Him to say, oh, you used to do it this way. Now trust me, it's a new season and do it this way but you will have rhythms where God can break in and help you no matter of the season that's what wisdom says friends build some habits of help habits of help they're called habits because habits ain't based on how we feel in fact most people don't get habits in their life because they don't understand how change happens how God created us to experience change even unbelievers and psychiatrists and counselors who study change understand this and so often we as believers don't even understand it here's what I mean in the beginning your new behavior will be a conscience choice something you do regardless of how it feels See, most people never get habits because they're waiting to have a feeling that always encourages them to do something they've never done before. That's not how change happens. You have to, in the beginning, make a conscious choice despite your feeling. And what happens is they know that if you will keep practicing deliberately what it is despite your current feeling, it will then create a habit And then once you get the habit, you'll start having some emotions and some things that actually then you desire to do the thing you did in the beginning regardless of whether you felt like doing it or not. That's the power of habits of help. Lastly, love. Did you know that Tom Rath said that during our teenage years, we spend nearly one-third of our time with friends. For the rest of our lives, the average time spent with friends is less than 10%. You know what that means? It means early on, we gave love and received love in our friendships, in multiple friendships. But when you get married, you begin to take on a career, and you begin to take on spouse, and you begin to gain all these other responsibilities. And because of that, you're not able to stay connected to all the friends you had before in that teenage season of life. What it means is we need wisdom on how to receive love in the new season. He speaks, Tom Rath, of eight vital roles of friends that we all need to reach the high calling or what I call the high calling that God has for us. The eight are this, builder, champion, collaborator, a companion, a connector, an energizer, a mind opener, and a navigator. He says a builder is a great motivator. It's someone who always pushes you towards the finish line. A champion is someone that will always stand up for you and what you believe in. A collaborator is a friend with similar interest. A companion is one that will always be there for you whatever the circumstances. A connector is one who's a bridge builder who helps you get what you want. They get to know you and then they introduce you to others. An energizer is the fun friends who always gives you a boast. If you want to relax, have a good time, you need to get out of a rut, call an energizer. A mind opener is friends who expand your horizons. 
encourage you to embrace new ideas. Hopefully, I, I play, a, by God's grace, a role like that in your life. To expand and encourage you to embrace new opportunities, new culture, new way of doing life, and new people. How to ask good questions. And then a navigator is friends who give you advice and keep you headed in the right direction. When it comes to love and receiving love, the problem goes back to what I said in the beginning. Because now we're in marriage... We're cut off for so many friends before. We had needs that were met before. And now we just assume that our wife can meet all of those needs. Let me tell you something. As great as my wife is, as great as some of you husbands or wives are, there's very few people God created to be so holistic that can meet all of those roles in your life. And what happens is we start asking them to be something that they don't have the capacity and the wiring and the talents and the understanding the way God's created to give us. And we then begin to get resentful and bitter because we're looking for them to do something that maybe God's not giving them the capacity to do. Like my wife, she's not to play because the way she's gifted and her desires the vital role of being a connector for me. My wife's not calling other churches and saying, hey, have you heard about the book and the discipleship that Dwelling Place uses and be a blessing? She's not to play that role. But guess what? For me to reach the high calling in Christ, I need a friend that will play that role. And when we get these roles confused, it leads to a breakdown. Now let me tell you some roles that only your spouse can play. And if you're a spouse that resists these, you got to know you have a secret place to go where God will enable you, heal you, work in you so that you can fulfill this. Is there are four emotional needs, Dr. Willard Harley Jr. says, that he's identified as most important to a romantic relationship. It's a marriage relationship. They are this, affection, intimate conversation, recreational companionship, and sexual fulfillment. Listen. There's no one else ethically, if you're married, that can meet those four needs. As a spouse, showing God's love to our spouse includes being an instrument of those four. In fact, I know a couple is in our church that the reason they first started beginning to feel romantic relationship with each other is because they golfed together. They said, man, a wife that can golf with me? I never thought about that. Come on now. It's like two for one. point is this we got to start thinking about these roles and God's capacity to empower us to meet them in our spouse because no one else can but we also can't confuse expecting them to meet vital roles outside of those four to expect them to do that if they are not wired and gifted by God to do that that's why he preached what he preached last week we need some other friends who might be a mind opener to us. My wife doesn't want me to always come home and talk deep theological stuff to her. Church growth stuff to her. But I need a mind opener in my life that challenges me to grow and to think through that. We all do. Listen, this is the issue of changing capacity. It's a great change of learning where do I receive love and these roles from and having the wisdom to discern 
roles only your spouse can meet and having the wisdom to discern that some roles your wife's just not created or your spouse, your husband, just not gifted. They don't think that way. So that's why you're going to need some friends outside of those four areas to do that. To do that. I don't know if you watch the Super Bowl, but I did just for sermon research, you know. And it paid off because there was this commercial. I don't know if you saw it. If not, you can go back and see it on YouTube. It's called the the 100 billion words. It's a Google commercial. 100 billion words. Did you know there is 100 billion words daily translated by Google? A hundred billion. But what I found interesting is, do you know the three most translated words or phrases in the world daily? Watch this. How are you? Thank you. And I love you. How are you? Thank you. And I love you. You know what I thought? That's the most translated words that speaks to a deep, reality of how we want people to communicate respond to us what if we who are married today not getting overwhelmed with all the change that needs to happen and all the growth and all the capacity and all of that but what if we just said let's start today right there with those three things and wonder if today was the start where each day you went to your spouse and communicated practically those three things. Michelle, how are you doing? And then speak about an area that you know that they're in life wrestling. How are you doing with, with serving and, and, and teaching the kids in homeschool? One thing, Michelle, I'm thankful for you. But never once do I have to wonder, is our house going to be a mess and out of order and what I'm going to come home to? I thank you for your diligence to provide a place that I can relax and want to be home. How are you? Thank you, and I love you. Not just I love you, but I love you because I know you'll you'll always stand with me. I know you're a companion for life, that you're faithful. What if we started that today? How could that begin to then stir on more capacity, more growth in our marriages? That's my challenge for you today. You're going to have to go back through the card and listen if you really want to get all that's embedded in this message. I knew that coming in. If you're that hungry, you need to do it. You need to go back. It's a lot, but it's a lot of God's wisdom that God will use to bless you. But I don't want to just leave you feeling overwhelmed. I want to leave you with some practical. And the practical is, why don't you start today? Maybe on the way home. How are you doing at your job? I know you dealing with Danny has been difficult. I just want to tell you I love you because my darkest days, you were my greatest champion and supporter. I thank you. And then be specific. I end you with this. Fred Smith Sr. said this, Being a Christian has to do with learning to do by reflex action that which you first learn to do by duty and obligation and discipline. 
Asking, is there anything I can do to be useful to you? And then doing it is something I learned first by duty. Then after much practice, it became a reflex action. Woo! That is changing the capacity that we can carry towards our spouse. That's Christianity, friend. You bless when you feel cursed. It don't feel natural at first, but you practice it. It takes effort and discipline and consciousness. But after you practice it for a time, it can become a habit where it becomes instinctly. How many of you spouses want your spouse to love you in a way, in your way, in your language, that's instinct? It's like an instinct, but they don't have the capacity currently. My wife, she wants me to serve her. But my love language is not serving. So when she asks me to do something, my initial reaction is not the perfection she wants. Because I don't have the capacity to think like her, but you know what that means? Also don't have the excuse to stay there. That I got a secret place that can give me the capacity to start doing by discipline these things until it becomes a greater reflex for me. That when she asks me to do something, I don't... Now that's my capacity at the beginning because my love language is, let me just tell you how beautiful you are, affirm her with words and things. She said, no, I want you to serve me. I want you to take out the trash. Well, I don't know how to, to be asked to take out the trash and be like, woo, trash duty, baby. That's not my instinct. So spouses, listen, we have to start by discipline and effort even though it doesn't feel natural as we find God's strength in the secret place and habits of health until it becomes a reflex. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.